This week on the Habs Forum, it has been a chaotic week in the offseason uh, in Montreal. Plenty to talk about. We're recording this uh, at the tail end of a free agent frenzy. Tons of move happened today in the NHL, specifically in Montreal. Big moves in uh, getting... Uh, at the last second, Hoffman signed with Montreal Canadiens. No one really saw that coming. Some rumors here and there, but, I mean, pretty big get for the Canadians. And Savard was rumored for a long time and some other depth moves, but really the pieces that make sense, it seems like, for the Canadians. So, of course, we're going to talk about all that and what it means for the roster, what the roster is looking like so far going into next year. Unfortunately, Canadians also lost Dano, so that's a big hole to fill uh, down to middle. So uh, lots of lots of roster movement from a team that went to the final not so long ago to now a lot of changes happening. So lots to talk about there. And, of course, uh, we haven't had a podcast since the draft. We're uh, obviously going to touch on with the, the, the first uh, round pick from the Canadians and all the controversy that came uh, with that. And also today, in the middle of free agent free agent frenzy like i think it was like 1 p.m like right when it started jeff molson released a statement uh, the timing uh seems a little bit weird to me uh i'm, I'm not gonna lie but anyways we'll touch on that more towards the end of the podcast and stick around at the end marco d'amico is a guest today to talk about the draft overall and the, and the prospects overall if you follow him on twitter you know he has some great insight about the 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 prospects for for the canadians and we've had him on the podcast before so stick around for that interview for sure uh but first dustin uh, tell us who the sponsor is the Habs Forum is brought to you by Manscaped.com. Check out the new Lawnmower 4.0 and the rest of the all-star lineup and use promo code HABSFORUM for 20% off your purchase and get free shipping, guys. Exciting stuff. All right, so let's get right into it. Uh, I mean, it's like it's like where to start with all these stuff to, to, to talk about. I mean, there, there's the Bergeron press conference, too, that I forgot to mention in the intro, and he kind of touched on a lot of the stuff, too, so... I, let's just start with Dano. So Dano's gone. It's it, it's it, it's something we kind of expected for a long time. During like the news came out about the offer that was made for him in September. That was that was basically confirmed by both Dano and Bergeron that that was true. Very close to the offer he signed. So he he signed six six years, five point five, and the Canadians offered five million instead of five point five. Like it's really not that big of a difference. But it sounds like there wasn't much talks since the initial offer was made back way back in September, and he ends up choosing going to LA. It's obviously a big, 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 big hole for the Canadians. But I don't know, like with the comments Dano made today, saying that he the big reason he chose LA is he has a different role there and he feels like he can have a more offensive role. And it's just like, like, look, I've loved Dano in his time here, and he's shown some offensive flashes. But the idea that Dano has has not hasn't been given opportunities to be an offensive player in Montreal is is, is preposterous. He was given first line minutes here for 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 years. I mean, I, I I don't know. Like after the comments today, like I'm not that sorry to see him go. It looks like he wasn't ready to accept his role, really. Well, no, exactly. I mean, that that is just preposterous to say that he did not get in offensive opportunities here. Obviously, I mean, the, the Habs were obviously relying on a, a, a lot on the defensive side. But and, you know, he did mention that, you know, a lot of the face offs he were, that he were taking in the defensive zone. Fair enough. But he obviously had had more than enough chances to play off, you know, offensive minutes and top minutes here. So uh, I know I, I wasn't too crazy about that. And, you know, it, like you said, he didn't seem like he wanted to accept that role. 
and now you know being behind two young centers in Suzuki and Kakinami, and now he's going to LA. Which okay, maybe next season he's going to be a top uh, a top six forward. But they have a lot of great centers coming. Yeah. They have Alex Turcotte that was uh, I think third overall two years ago, or or close to that. They no maybe not two years ago, but anyway, he's a top pick from a few years ago, what two or three years ago. They have uh, obviously Quinton Byfield that was yep. the second overall pick in the last draft or not the last draft, the one before that. Uh, and I mean, they have a couple of other solid young players as well, like Rasmus uh, Kupari. So it, maybe next season, he's going to be one of the top six guys, but he's quickly going to see that role diminished. And especially for that amount of money, 5.5 million, you know, the Canadians, maybe they did offer him five, or obviously it looks like they did offer him $5 million at the beginning of last season, but uh, he didn't do himself any favors with his regular season, at least last season. So maybe the Canadians weren't even willing to give him five million, af- you know, after this season. Who knows what was what was going on there? But no, I'm I'm seeing that deal. I'm definitely not too sad to see him go. And it's it's not just the way he played in the regular season, where like let's not forget he went a stretch of nearly thirty games without a goal or with just one goal. Like it, it was really not a strong offensive year for him. Not to say that he hasn't had some solid offensive years, but really he's best suited as a shutdown defense, uh, shutdown center. And it really seems like he doesn't want to accept that role. And it really feel like. L.A. maybe kind of wined and dined him like the way he talked about it, it seems like L.A. like right away did a good job of showing they have tons of interest in him and they really want him and they told him all the right things. But I don't know if he doesn't keep track too much with kind of NHL rosters and all of that, but like he's going to be in the exact same situation, like you said. In a couple of years, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if Byfield or, or Turcotte has like a breakout this year and right away he's pushed down to a third line center role more so, you know, so I mean, it is what it is good for him. What's really sad though, uh, for, uh, for Dan, I think is, I mean, LA is notorious for having terrible pizza. And now we have <laughs> the pizza guy in Dano going to LA. I mean, come on, man. I mean, you, you get that, that, that doesn't make any sense to me, but it, it, it is what it is. I am happy for him. Like he's not like, I mean, no way, like I don't love his comments towards the end, but it sounds like it, it made sense to move on from him. And look, it's not like, like I have my issues sometimes with like Patch Ready. I don't love how he left the team. I, I'm in no way rooting for Patch Ready in, in 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 Vegas. I'm not necessarily rooting against him, but I I don't really care if he does well or not in in, in Vegas. If I'm being offered, if I'm being honest, dude. If we're wrong and Dano has a great 60 point season in LA, I'll be happy for him. Good for him. Nothing against the guy, and he gave gave it his all this year. If he knew all along he was leaving in this off season, it did not show in the playoffs. Not at all. He absolutely gave his 150% every single game. And he, he gave us one of the, he helped us through one of the greatest runs we've ever seen as, as a Habs fan. So we'll always respect him for it, for that. But I don't think it's the end of the world that he's gone. Not at all. And Suzuki's really come out as like a two way for center, right? Like he can take some of those responsibilities at times on the PK and all that. And I think we'll just be able to sign like it for two, three million or through trade a proper shutdown center. That's really just a shutdown center. I think that'll be fine. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for 5.5 million, uh, you know, maybe, maybe not in free agency here because the, the options seem to be pretty yeah. limited at this point, but uh, you know, I think there's a lot of trade options out there again. You know, I think I mentioned it last week, Christian Dvorak would be an amazing acquisition for the Habs and still a young yeah. player, more offensive upside than, uh, than Dano. And, you know, and the Canadians definitely have the assets to move, in in way of a trade so no I, I i don't think uh it's the end of the world certainly not uh it's obviously sad to see him go 
know, especially when you see a Quebec-born player leave like that, it's it's always for sure. unfortunate. For sure. But uh, but it is what it is. You know, he did him. He he got he got paid really well. Uh, obviously, he seems to think it's a good fit for him. And like you said, I mean, I don't think it's uh, it's the way that he left. I, I don't have any issue with that, and I'll I'll be rooting for him moving forward. The, the big thing now is that if you look at the depth down down the middle for the Canadians right now, it's Suzuki, KK, Evans, and then you have like Paling, who did have a strong season uh, in the AHL uh, last year, a bit of a breakout, unfortunately got injured late in the year. So you hope maybe he can take that step this year. You have Paquette they, they signed today that you hope is the 13th forward, but also has played center in the past. But the, the, the main theme here is it's a very, very young group at, at, down the middle. But like all players that have potential to be very, very solid. Suzuki's already there. KK, you hope he takes that step to be a true second-line center. Evans, probably not there yet. Probably better suited to be a fourth-line center. Paling, maybe better suited to start off on the wing in the NHL. So you hope to get an extra guy there. But at the same time, these are guys that maybe in a couple of years, that, that center line you're perfectly happy with. So that's when you wonder if it makes sense to give a guy like Dano five, six years. Because then a couple of years down the line... There's, there, you, have, you have kind of too, too many of those guys in, in your lineup. So I, I don't hate the Christian Dvorak. I, I know there were rumors around that. I mean, of course, I would take him at the, for, for the right price. But also, even a cheaper kind of veteran kind of guy that maybe is a bit older, and but he's reliable defensively, good on the face-offs. Kind of like what we hoped Eric Stahl was last year. Uh, clearly, he, he had lost quite a bit of a step. and Although he had some moments here and there. Uh, th- but that type of player, like I, I don't know who it is exactly, but I, I think that would be a good kind of stopgap like on, on a two-year deal while some of the kids that still need some time to really d- develop into those roles and Evans and Paling and even KK a little bit have time to kind of mature. And, and I think that those types of players, even if the Canadians start the season with these four centers, which I don't necessarily think they will, but even if they do, I don't think that's the end of the world. And I think it's just... It's th- that type of player is the type of player sometimes you acquire during the season, right? One of those teams that falls out uh, of the race, and then and then you go you go you go get someone for, for for cheap from from that team, right? So maybe that's what happens. Like I'm not really too concerned, honestly. Well, I mean, I definitely think it's the biggest hole. I mean, I think you're definitely asking for trouble if you're heading into the season with Jake Evans or Cedric Paquette as your third line center. Um, but like like you like you said, I mean, it it could certainly be a stopgap type of guy. You know, if maybe maybe through trade, through through free agency, I mean, there's not a whole lot of options that are left. Obviously, I mean, a lot of signings coming in today um, all over the NHL. But, um, you know, it, it could be one of those stop gaps that doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, an ex- a probably expensive guy like uh, like Christian Dvorak. Um, but I mean, again, they have the assets, but they do also have some of the young kids uh, that are coming up as well. You know, obviously, like you mentioned, Ryan Paling, they just drafted a couple of guys, uh, yeah. you know, that could, that could be centers, probably not uh, not in a year or two, but, you know, in a, in a few years. So the future is bright, but I mean, they have some different options, but I, I definitely think it's their their biggest hole right now and, and a hole that they absolutely need to fill before I mean, it, next season. It is the biggest hole, but I don't think it's as... Let's not forget that, the, however, that the wings are crazy. Like the depth on the wings, it's arguably even more than last year because basically they just replaced Tatar with with, with Hoffman. Tatar, who didn't even play in the playoffs, but they're still for the regular season. And uh, like Hoffman, a great goal scorer. And then you add Caulfield for the whole season. Let's not forget Caulfield wasn't there when he started the year last year. So, uh, as deep as the, the Canadians were on the wing last year, and you, you, Dwayne is seemingly coming back. I mean, all, all signs point to that. 
they're even deeper this year on the wing, especially if a guy like Perry signs again. So the thing is, is sure it's risky to give a guy like Evans maybe a third line role or or and, and paling on the fourth line. But if you start this season like that, and then those guys are surrounded by great wingers, you know, we still have a guy like Army on the first, a fourth line as it is right now. I do think that helps that transition a little bit. I understand that center is generally the most important position, but if you surround those young centermen by the great veteran wingers, then it, it's it's not as bad, you know? And I do think at some point they make the move, but I, I just, I really don't think that if they don't have that guy at the beginning of the season, it's the end of the world either. You know, they they, they might have it by that by the time we get, we're done recording this podcast. Who knows? There's not really much left in, in free agency, but... I, I'm like, this is still a really deep forward like, crew. Like, I agree there's there's a hole down the middle, but still, it's it's really deep and it could still do a good job, I think. Yeah, I'm definitely, <laughs> definitely going to disagree with that. There's no way, no way that he's he's not signing in or bringing in another, another center somehow, especially after after going out and getting guys like Savard and, and, and Mike Hoffman. Uh, no, there, there's no way Jake Evans or Cedric Pocket is going to be the third line center. Guaranteed. But the thing is, is there's no one left to sign. Like we, the only guy that, that that is left to sign potentially that that, that could fit that role, uh, like you were saying, was uh, Casey. I never know how to say his last name. Casey Sizikis. Sizikis, which, which would be a great acquisition. But I think at this point, I don't know if the Canadians have the cap space, depending on what he's uh, he's asking for. It could could be a possibility. Uh, and in trades, it's just like Bergman's been really sh- smart with not kind of being stupid with his trades. I'm I'm saying what I'm saying is he, they're going to acquire someone eventually. I'm just saying it's not the end of the world if it's not a be- the beginning of next season. I I really don't think it is. I think it's the end of the world. It's the end of end the world. Of the end of the world. Man, the, the, I mean the division is so good. I mean they they That's true. No, they they have to put together the best team possible. They have I mean they have so many assets, so many young players, so many draft picks. I mean, you know, if you overpay maybe a little bit, I don't think it's the end of the world. And, and you know, I mean, they have some cap room, too. I mean, obviously, they still have to sign Kakinemi and, and Lekinen. So, you know, who knows exactly how much they're going to have. But I would I would, I would, would say probably about $4 million in cap room after you get those guys signed. So, uh, no, I mean, I definitely think they can they can do something. It's it's not going to be yeah, easy. I, I mean, think a lot of teams, you know, they, they're they're going to do anything they can do to, to try to get a little bit of cap room. So, you know, I, I think they and can get there it are a lot of veterans. Actually, now, now I'm looking at it right now. I mean, Krejci apparently said he's he's staying in uh, in Boston no matter what uh, or retiring or whatever. But you have guys like uh, like Derek Stepan, Brendan Dubinsky, Travis Zajac, like all Travis Tyler Bozak, all guys that are past their best years. Uh, and 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 Anisimov, I can't. Artem Anisimov. There you go. Uh, there you go. Like guys like that. Hey, sure, they, they can fill in that. Like Darren Helm. There is a lot of guys there that could like that could step in if if they're willing to sign on really 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 cheap. But like looking at it right now, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, look, like I said, it might happen by the time we're done recording this podcast. But I, re- I wouldn't be surprised that it's a situation where. It's a week before the season starts, and Dustin is, is freaking out on every episode of the podcast. We need a center. This is unacceptable. And then they sign someone last minute. But pro- probably just waiting to see – because if, if all those guys I just named, they're kind of all in the same kind of category. Like do you really care which one you get out of the bunch? Maybe they just wait for the guy that's kind of desperate. No one no one's came knocking, and you sign that guy on, on a cheap $1 million deal. I mean I could see that happening for sure. 
through trade, I don't know. Like it depends what, what 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 you never know what teams want, you know, for their assets. And the last thing I would want to do is overpay at this point, you know. No, but uh, you know, and and I think uh, another thing they really need, and and they're sorely going to miss with Dano is, I mean, obviously the defensive play, but also the faceoffs. Yeah. And we know that the guys that we have now are yeah. not very good at faceoffs. That's true. I mean, you know, so that that's that's another huge thing that they have to add a, a guy that's that that can win those faceoffs in the defensive zone because I mean, how many times this season and and especially in the playoffs did we get bit by losing a defensive zone faceoff? For sure, for sure. So, and I'm looking at Cedric Pocket's stats right now. Last year, apparently, didn't take too many faceoffs. He was at 44. percent Before that, you know, 2019, 2020, he was at 50.9, 52.6 the year before. So, not too, too bad at faceoffs uh, the last couple of seasons. Um, so, I mean, you know, I, th- I think he can be that that fourth line center along with Jake Evans wrote maybe a bit of a rotation. We'll see about that, but uh, uh, they definitely need that third line center. That's, that's going to win faceoffs can, you know, potentially plan the PK certainly, and hopefully chip in a little bit offensively. Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I, I'm surprised you, you don't have more faith in Jake Evans though, with what we've saw this year. Do you not think he could potentially become the th- a third line guy? I mean, listen, anybody, anybody that's listened to this podcast knows how much I love Jake Evans, but I'm also very realist when it comes to Jake Evans. He's <laughs> he's not a third line. So he's not a guy that's going to put up, uh, you know, 10, 15 goals a season. He's he's just not. He's no, not that's an the offensive thing. guy. I don't think our third line center needs to provide basically any offense. Like 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 some. OK, but he just needs to be a guy that's focused on being a shutdown guy because. There is so much depth on the wing, and you need the top two centers to pr- produce. And it, you just don't want it to be a black hole. For, but you just play him with a guy like Anderson on the third line who just does things on his own and doesn't really need a center. To, he just does whatever. you know. He just shoots from everywhere and all that, and he still brings a cer- cer- certain energy. It, like, I don't, like, the third line for me, like, the, the, the hole is specifically a shutdown. So that's, what, that's what missing with Daniel Gunn. Like, I agree with that. I don't know if Evans is there yet, but he did. He sh- showed some flashes last year, being great on the PK and all that. So that's that's not crazy either. Like, but I, I don't. I really don't think the guy we signed on the middle needs to be a guy that. Obviously, ideally, he would. Obviously, it's ideally every player on the team would produce a lot. But I, I'm just saying it's not. The, the the biggest hole is is the guy that can really shut the other team down and play those big PK minutes. Well, I mean, I, I don't know. I think for your third line center definitely has to chip in a little bit. I mean, your third line center is going to be playing like, well, I don't know if he'll be playing with Josh Anderson, but, you know, he potentially is playing with like what, maybe Gallagher and Lekkonen, I guess. No, I mean, you know, Lekkonen is Le- yeah, right now, like, like you, you want to talk, he, he might not even, that's the thing. Lekkonen might be the on man out and gets traded. Because look, look, this is the lineup right now. Toffoli, Suzuki, Caulfield's first line. Then, I mean, these lines can change, obviously, but these players aren't, aren't getting out. If Dwayne's back, he's playing. So let's say Dwayne, KK, and Galley, for example. Then you have Mike Hoffman they just signed. And then down, this, down the middle right now, it goes to Evans and Anderson on the right. And then let's not forget Paul Byron. If Byron is, is healthy, he's going to be playing for, for, for this team. Then you have I have like either Paling or Pocket down the middle, uh, depending how Paling does in the camp. And then you have Armia on the right. That's what I'm saying. The wingers are crazy deep. They've already offered Perry a contract if he signs – then there's that, and then I haven't even mentioned Lekkonen. Yeah, but there's if, a crazy if I'm, amount if, of depth on on the wing right now. If I have my wingers on the third line, Mike Hoffman and Josh Anderson, two guys that can score, 
but that need that you know you want to have a a guy that can pass that's that's good at passing the puck that can that that has some offensive talent. Jake Evans is not going to be setting up Mike Hoffman and Josh Anderson on a regular basis. They're not going to score thirty goals with Jake Evans as their center. Well, they need first a guy. of all, Hoffman scores like ninety five percent of his goals on the power play, so you don't really have to worry too much about his five on five center. That's that's just the reality. <laughs> Okay, what about Josh Anderson? He's not going to score. Dude, Josh Anderson just gets the puck, puts his head down, and crashes the net. Like, it doesn't really matter who he plays with, if we're if we're if we're being honest. But the thing is, is looking at the at these wingers, what it probably is, especially if they do bring back Perry, you got to think there's a trade coming. I mean, yeah. But who though? Like, they're not going to trade the guys they just got. I, I don't think. I really don't think they they trade Dehoim because I don't think there's any market for him, and you might as well see if you can bounce back. Kofoli, there's no way they're moving him. Anderson, like, Lekkonen's the only guy that kind of makes sense. They just re-signed Armia. Like, Lekkonen's the only guy that makes sense. Now, is there a market for Lekkonen? Can we move Lekkonen and maybe a pick or, like, a like a, like a a B prospect and get a third-line center? Uh, I, I definitely think there's a market for Lekkonen. And Dude, I love Lekkonen, but he seems really underrated is the only thing. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think there's a lot of teams that would love Lekkonen on their team. I mean, he's he's great defensively he can chip in from time to time offensively but uh no there is a line of teams that would be lining up to get like if if the canadians had him out there i mean are we going to get our third line center for him i mean obviously it'd have to be uh, in a package you would think but i mean with lekanen as soon as the canadians um you know uh, put out the um qualified him i i was thinking that there could be that he could potentially get moved because apparently um, I don't know who posted this rumor, but that they the Canadians were actually because of the cap hit, the 2.5 million, they were actually considering not qualifying him. Like you, we saw with quite a few teams. You know, there was a, quite a few surprises of of teams that qualified or did not qualify players, yeah. and uh, and they became UFAs. So I I really wouldn't be surprised because I I mean Lekin and obviously I mean, what like you said, what role is he really going to be playing with this team? You know, so I, I think it makes a lot of sense. And yeah, at this point, I mean, the the, the forwards that were already full and that's even without Corey Perry. So but I don't know if we're getting that much for Lekanen, though, because just look at other RFAs that got moved for next to nothing, nothing next to nothing. Like the Rangers basically gave away uh, Bushkovich or whatever his name is for nothing. Yeah. No, and, 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 and the talks were really it's because he's an RFA. He's not signed yet. And like so. Are we getting a centerman for Lekkonen, or are we just getting like a third-round pick? And then what's the point? Yeah, no, that, that that's fair. But um, you know, one thing that, that could also be a possibility is uh, I, somebody I just saw a post on Twitter that uh, you know the Kraken have quite a few defensemen that they're potentially apparently potentially looking at moving. Mm-hmm. And Vince Dunn, who's been connected to the Canadians basically for the last two years, he could be certainly an option, maybe for a Lekkonen, and you throw in a draft pick or a prospect. Um, Carson Soucy is another left-handed defenseman that, uh, that you know he's he's a he's bigger. He can move the puck a little bit as well. I think Vince Dunn would would definitely be the the best solution. But you know maybe maybe the Canadians want to improve on the defense as well. And Vince Dunn, I mean, I think that would be I'm, fantastic. Lekkinen, Lekkinen in a pick maybe or a or you know a prospect. I uh, can't see I can't see them moving Vince Dunn. If if the Kraken move like it made more sense when he was in St. Louis because clearly they were going to lose him right. But 
if the Kraken move Vince Dunn, I really don't know what they're doing. Like Vince Dunn has the potential to be their Shea Theodore. Like he maybe not doesn't have quite that upside, but like if they're if they're looking at Vegas and how Vegas build their team, and you're trying to make comparisons, you know he might be the potential guy that a steal from the expansion draft that turns into a great defenseman for them. I'd be shocked if they do. I think it would be a terrible move for uh for Seattle. To, but I mean Seattle's made a lot of weird moves, so you never know. You never know. No, no, I definitely agree, but uh, I don't know. Apparently, a lot of people seem to think that uh, that they are looking to move Vince Dunn, and I mean, I think the Canadians would would definitely love to get their hands on him, and and Lekkinen, and obviously, you know, plus would uh, would make sense. Well, then that doesn't answer your 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 terrified, like so scared of the 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 the, the center situation. Uh, they'll figure it. So they're going to make two trades, at least two, two, two trades. trades. Uh, or, or like I, like I said before, it. it's either that. Like, I could really see them signing like a veteran guy to one of those, like the thirty-five plus contracts or whatever, just to play center. And 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 we see how it goes with that. Like, I do think that could be what happens down the middle. Oh, definitely. I mean, some of the guys you mentioned earlier, like Bozak, Darren Helm. I mean, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, one of those guys could definitely make sense on a on a you know, like a one-year deal, sort of like what we saw last season with uh, with Perry and Froelich. Sure. Definitely makes a lot of sense. Uh, and then, uh, I mean, actually, something that was interesting, too, from the the Berge conference, like to stick a little bit longer with uh, with Dano talking, he was specifically asked. Uh, so at the time of the conference, Dano wasn't – no, he was signed. Sorry, he was signed. But he was, he was asked about the KK's role on the team – now that kind of Dano is gone, is is he going to take the the, the step? And, and and his answer was interesting. So I I could see some people taking the way he answered that as him like thinking Kakinimi is someone he's going to move, or he like he was very kind of cryptic. He was basically nervous to say the wrong thing. It almost seemed like, but he basically said he loves when he's playing at his peak and he loves the potential he sees. But he finds himself like Bergman talking about himself often doing the same mistakes fans make, which is forget how young he is. And, you know, they, we all want him to be as good as he can be right now instead of giving him the time to to, uh, to get better. But he does love the game that he does play. And I think that is the biggest – Kotkin Yemi is really the biggest thing here. I mean, we uh, I've complained on this podcast many times that he doesn't really get the opportunities he should get. I often thought he should have been playing more – like Dano claiming he never got offensive chances, he was, and he was getting the chances that I thought Kutkinemi should be getting, because I do think Kutkinemi has way more offensive potential than than Dano does. So part of me is kind of excited that there is a bit of a hole down the middle. If it means Kutkinemi just he has to get thrown to the wolves a little bit, and let's see what he can do with it. Let's see what he can do with more important minutes and playing a, a a bigger role in the Canadians down the middle. Because at at some point, if you want him to develop into the the top six center we want him to develop into, you, you have to make him play those minutes. You know, he has. I know he's still young and all that, and he want. But like at this point, he's getting into like his third season in, in the NHL. You know, like like I am kind of excited to see have be, them to be forced to give Kami first of all some of the best wingers on the team, some of the wingers that can actually. Like, because his wingers a lot was were Anderson and Byron, two guys that they're good in their own right in some ways, but they're kind of just like drive the net on the rush and then the play kind of dies and that's it. But if you're playing with a guy like Gallagher can, that can like cycle the puck in the offensive zone or or or, or a guy like like Hoffman, who's like one of the best finishers in the NHL. And we, we've seen Kakiemi be a big, big, great playmaker or Dwayne when he's back. They've been good together. Like, like part of me is excited for that. Like, I, I want them to be forced to give Kakiemi big minutes, you know? 
Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you know, he, he has three NHL seasons under his belt now. He knows what he has to work on. You know, I mean, they, they, I think Duchamp had talked about it. You know, he has to work on his skating. He has to work on getting bigger, you know, and, and, and stronger on his skates. And, you know, I mean, uh, yeah, we've definitely talked about it a lot on the podcast, but a lot of fans have been talking about it, uh, you know, all of last season for sure mm-hmm. about about it on Twitter, not, uh, you know, not giving him the opportunities that he needs to grow. But I mean, certainly with Dan Ogon, he's going to get you. Well, you'd have to think he's going to get more opportunities for sure. And then now his now's his time to show that uh, to show what he has. So who who do you think he he plays with then to, to start the year? Because I think Suzuki and Caulfield is pretty much set in stone at this point. They they almost seem like they were born to play together. And and you gotta think Toffoli stays there. That I like the idea of playing Galley with KK. First of all, Galley is responsible. It's a veteran guy to play with KK. Like I like the idea of that. Now that like Dan was gone, but both of Galley's line mates are gone, so you gotta find him some new line mates. But then who's on the left? I mean, the two is either Dwayne or Hoffman. Like we know Dwayne and him have had chemistry, but Hoffman's a finisher. Like I do like the idea of having KK next to a guy who can really finish. Yes, yeah, it's, it's tough to say. I mean, Dwayne, I think you know he's he's definitely showed some chemistry in in limited sure, sure. opportunities with Kakiniemi, so I think I think that would make sense. I think they can both set up Josh Anderson. I think or um, no uh, Gallagher. Um, but I mean, at the same time, I think, I don't know that I'd want Hoff. So on the third line, obviously that would mean that Hoffman and Anderson are together. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'd want them yeah. two together. Yeah. Um, so I think that would, you know, would make sense to have maybe Hoffman on the second line and then Anderson on the third line. Um, uh, but I mean, there's so many options. I mean, like yeah, you said, sure. I mean, I think that first line is probably set in stone, but so many options. That, that, know, that makes I mean, a lot of sense to me. I mean, Dwayne's still so much a question mark, but what you just said about you don't necessarily want Hoffman and Anderson together. Because, I mean, they're both guys that can score, but they're not necessarily the guys that are going to create for themselves. And then Dwayne is one of the best playmaking wingers. I mean, he's the best playmaking winger we have. He's a, like that, That's what he does the best, right? So it makes sense to have him play with one of those two guys and probably Anderson. So, I mean... I'm I'm excited looking at this lineup. Like Hoffman, really like we haven't really touched too much on that signing. It kind of happened. I wasn't expecting it at all. I, I I was still I was still like on working on the couch all day today watching watching TSN and like air quotes for 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 working. I it, luckily it wasn't a very busy day in the office for me today. Just working from home watching TSN all day, and I I I, I yelled when like I, I wasn't expecting anything else to happen, especially because Bergman had his conference. Usually that means he's done, right? Like, okay, well, he, let's not expect anyone anything else. I kind of stopped paying attention, and all of and all of a sudden I hear Hoffman's being signed with uh, with uh, the Canadians, and now we're going to commercial, and then they didn't talk about it again for like 20 minutes, <laughs> which was annoying. Uh, they were talking about the Leafs the whole time; it was driving me crazy. But anyways, that that changes a lot, and Hoffman is really like that contract. First of all, love it. No complaints from me there. I mean, what, what is it? Three times 4.5 million? I, I think yep. yeah, exactly. So that is. Like the the money's really not that bad. Three year term is really not that bad. Like considering that it's the first day of free agency, and this is a guy that consistently scores twenty five plus goals. He's exactly like how many times have we complained on this podcast that this team lacks finishers? Now this is uh, this is exactly what Hoffman is. Yeah, I mean it. It all it kind of seems like the Toffoli signature last year. I mean obviously yeah. Toffoli signed with the Canadians. I mean not not the first day. I mean I think yeah. it was a few weeks in the few in the free agency. But I mean, sort of the same thing, like you see him sign and it's like, wow, really didn't expect this guy to sign. And it's such a good deal in term two. And I mean, 
you know, he's, I think, man, Hoffman, like you said, is exactly what the Habs need. And like how much, you know, obviously you've had trouble scoring the last couple of seasons, but now all of a sudden you have Mike Hoffman, you have Tyler Toffoli, you know, Cole you Caulfield. have uh, Cole Caulfield, you have Josh Anderson. <laughs> like, let's not forget about that going into the next year's regular season. Like Cole Caulfield, it's his rookie year. We didn't have him in the regular season, really, you know? Yeah, that's true. I keep I keep forgetting somehow about Cole Caulfield, but yeah, I mean, like these these wingers are are solid, obviously. Uh, man, it's they're gonna have a good team, you know. All again, all they need is that third line center. Yeah, no, not me. <laughs> like I'm not arguing that we they don't need a third line center. I just think there's so much depth on the wing that I just don't think it's the end of the world if it if it takes a little bit of time to 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 get him. But yeah, that that Hoffman. Signing there, it really changes the whole makeup of like as far as it. Once again, there like I thought we weren't going to be able to go into the the year again with three lines that really can score. And lo- looking at those wingers now, we definitely can have three lines that can really score again going into next year. And honestly, when they signed Armia, which I don't do not hate that contract either, three times, uh, three years or three point four, three point four, which is exactly Byron's cap hit. So I th- I think that's kind of fair. I mean, you're going to tell Armia that he's not as good as Byron? Like, come on. So like, I think it's, it's kind of fair uh, to give him that money. But when he signed that, I thought it kind of meant he was going to be in the top nine. But now with all these signings, uh, I think he might be in, uh, on the fourth line again. Obviously, a guy that can move up and down the lineup. But just I did not expect to have as much depth at forward going into next year, especially if we lost Deno. But it looks like we do. No, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I was definitely not, and I think most people were not expecting Yoel Armia to come back to the no, Canadians. Yeah. I mean, because, you know, it, it seemed like he wanted a bigger role, yeah. which, I mean, fair enough, you know, kind of like Dano, I guess. Um, you know, so I thought I was expecting him to go to another team, and de- I was definitely expecting him to get more money than that, and I think, Same. you know, a lot, of the, a lot of the insiders were saying that he definitely could have got more on the open market. Um, so yeah, definitely not a signature that I was expecting. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm really happy to see him back, but at the same time, kind of like you said, I mean, where exactly does he fit in this lineup is probably going to have to be on that fourth line. Then obviously, you know, with injuries, he'll, he'll, he'll be uh, higher up in the lineup, but he starts the season probably on the fourth line. And that, that's what I think too. But, but like, like you said, it's, it, it's injuries and he, he, he is a guy that can move up and down the lineup. And what it is to is, I think it's going to be a team again that really rolls four lines, right? That's and we saw how how valuable that was in, in the playoffs, right? So um, I'm definitely not 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 against it, and I I, I kind of really like a lot of the moves. You just add like add a center, like you said, but I really don't want to pay too much for it. Like I don't think they need to pay too much to add that center, and uh, I I think they're, they're they're looking pretty good. I, I really hope Perry does resign. Like Bergeron did say specifically, he has offered Perry a contract, but he hasn't uh, heard back from him yet. I wonder I mean, a little think, bit now. So, go ahead. I think he's. I think he's looking. You know, he he probably wants to see what kind of moves the Canadians and yeah. and other teams are making. Yeah. And I mean, you got to think that he likes what he's seeing. I mean, he's if you put Corey Perry onto this team, he's going to be well. You would think he's going to be on that fourth line right now with you know Armia, and his center is going to be either Pocket or, or Evans. I mean, I don't. I don't think he's going to argue with that too. I think that's that's decent. But then um, Byron's benched, right? So like that's the thing. Like, P- does Perry sign here knowing that he might not be an everyday player, or do- is that what he wants? But would he rather not be an everyday player and kind of keep his energy for playoff time? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a good question. I mean, that's sort of what happened last season, right? He didn't play yeah. all the games either. So yeah, hundred percent. And yeah, you know, maybe that that maybe that is what he wants. You know, he doesn't want to play every game. You know, especially next season, it's going to be an eighty-two game schedule. So maybe that's what he's looking for. 
And I mean, I think that that would definitely be what the Canadian sort of role would look look for him. And but I mean, he's going to have a lot of suitors, especially the way that he played in the playoffs, the way that he brought it. But obviously, like, showed he has a lot in the tank. You would think that, but he had a great playoff run last year too with Dallas. And he, the Canadians, still got him for a, min- a league minimum contract late into the off season. Yeah, that, I mean that's a that's a good point too. I mean, you know, I, I mean, I guess I guess people didn't think that he had gas left in the tank for some yeah. reason after that playoffs. I mean, you know, I, I I was definitely we were both thrilled when he signed with the Canadians. So I'm not I'm not sure why, but I I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he he won't get too many offers. I hope he doesn't get too many offers. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I mean. I don't think anyone's going to be sad to see him back with the Habs. That's for sure. But the more we talk about it, and and we look at 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 uh, because we both want to add Perry and the fact that they added Pocket and Paling might be ready to step into the NHL. You got to think there's a move coming. Yeah. You got to think. But uh, I mean, we'll see. And Lekin makes the most sense. I just don't know if they can get much for him. But anyway, let's move on to the defense. I mean, obviously the big hole this year is Shea Weber. We've talked about it before. He's out for for the whole for a whole year potentially. Uh, career is over, which is uh, which is horrible, obviously, but creates a big hole on the right side, and that hole is being filled by David Savard and another very very good contract, four years, probably a bit more term than you like, but at only three point five million, which is exactly how much we're paying both Edmondson and uh, and Sherrod. I, I don't hate that contract at all. Like that's what I love the most about today's moves. Not not a not a bad contract there, not a bad cap hit there at all. So. I'm I'm really happy with all that. And David Savard, like, of course, he's purely just a defensive defenseman, but he fills that hole. And at the end of the day, Weber was pretty much just a defensive defenseman towards the end there too. So I think Savard can step into his role pretty easily, honestly. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think he'll he'll slide really nicely into that second pairing. I mean, you know, how big of a drop off is David Savard really from Shea Weber? I mean, the way that he played in the regular season. Uh, and like you said, I mean, that 3.5 million, you know, when the Canadian, when there was obviously, I mean, a lot of rumors in the last few days that Savard was coming to Montreal, I was pretty nervous about what kind of yeah. money he was going to be getting. And I really don't think anyone Absolutely. can argue with 3.5 million. That's solid. And, and I mean, he's, he's going to bring, all, you know, what, what Bergevin obviously loves that, that, you know, just that, that gritty type play. Definitely. And, and I mean, the other signing, I think, is a really underrated signing, Chris Weidman. Yeah, I mean, he's absolutely. exactly what the Habs need, I think, especially being a right-handed defenseman. Yeah. Zero risk, too. Oh, man, exactly. 750000 I mean, worst case, you could even send him down to Laval. I mean, it, it's— Oh, yeah, exactly. You can completely bury that contract if it doesn't work out, so why not? He won He won defenseman of the year in the KHL, so you never know. And it sounds like he was made a bit the scapegoat in the whole Uber— Thing that happened in Ottawa, so he was one of the guys uh, that that was like talking about the like about the coach being bad and all that. But for some reason, it's like because he was the most fringe NHLer at the time, he was like one head had to roll and it was his. He he kind of seemingly got screwed a little bit in that situation. Is a feeling I have. You got to think he's going to come in with a chip on on his shoulder, wanting to prove something. Absolutely. I mean, uh, he was coached when he was playing in Binghamton. He was coached by. Uh, Luke Richardson. So I'm sure Luke Richardson had a lot to say about the, about the Habs bringing in Chris Weidman. Obviously, seems to have confidence in him. And oh man, I'm I'm sure I, I'm sure he's going to be a really good sign. Like he's going to prove out prove to be a really good signing. I think he adds another dimension to this to this defense. And 
And like you said, absolutely zero risk risk with his signing. No, exactly. It's, it's zero risk, and it kind of fits with, with with the roster we have. And and I honestly look. I don't want to like Weber, Weber had a great playoff run. I, I don't want to take that away from him, but I, I really it really felt. And I mentioned this on the podcast. We've talked about it. Like he struggled in the regular season, and it really felt like in the, in the, in the playoffs, he gave everything he had left in the tank. And all the respect to him. He a great captain for the Canadians and really gave it his all in, in that in that run for, for the putt. But in the regular season, he struggled. And I look at the at this group right now, which is Edmonton Petrie, obviously a pairing that's not going to get separated. I like Romanov with Savard. I think Savard is the perfect partner for Romanov because he's basically a 100% defensive defenseman and like really reliable defensively, but not much offensively, which gives Romanov a chance to maybe kind of like you know, explore a bit more his offense while he grows into his game. And then you have Sherratt with Weidman. Sherratt in a lesser role, which is better, I think we can both agree for him, than, than the minutes he was playing next to Weber and and Weidman on, on the other side. And then this, these are three duos that are probably playing close to the same amount of minutes every game. I don't think that as far as we're talking regular season, how Weber played in the regular season, not the playoffs, I don't think this is, a, is six defensemen that are worse than the six defensemen we had last year at all. No, no, exactly. I mean, uh, you know, it's it's definitely not uh, not the best defensive uh, oh, unit sure. in the NHL. But I mean, it, it, I mean, I'm fine going into this se- into next season with these guys. Um, you know, if if they could make an addition, that'd be great. A guy again like Vince Dunn, that would be fantastic. Let's not forget they got Brett Kulak as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, who's who's a solid guy who can play on both sides as well. And yeah, who knows? Maybe one of these young guys like Matthias Norlinder, you know, he's well, going to get a shot. Speaking of Norlander, like the, Bergman was asked in his press conference, point blank, what is the hole you have left to fill on your on your roster? And he right away said puck moving defenseman, right? He he's not he's well aware that that's what he needs, uh, and he's not willing to overpay though. He basically said the, what was available on the market uh, was going for too much. Probably talking about Dougie Hamilton. I'm sure he kind of looked into Dougie Hamilton, who just but just before we started recording, signed for nine million dollars a year. Like when you consider the Canadians usually have to offer more money to get these types of players to come to to Montreal, I mean that was never going to happen in, in in Montreal. I mean I would have loved Dougie Hamilton, but if you're if you're starting to talk about nine point five ten million for Dougie Hamilton, for, forget about it. But he specifically talked about Norlander, and Bergeron has talked about Norlander in the past. This is cl- clearly someone the organization really likes, and it sounds like he's going to be given an opportunity. Like he's going to definitely be looked looked at seriously at camp. Like if Norlander comes into camp. And has a really like a, a, a monster camp. He could definitely have a chance of breaking the the day one lineup. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, I think I think he's going to get every chance, every opportunity to to try to make the team. I mean, obviously, you know, you can't expect too too much out of him. Uh, if if he were to make the team, I'm sure it would be sort of like Romanov last year, where yeah, you know, not necessarily playing every game. He'd play you know a lot of bottom minutes basically, which would be fine. But, uh, you know, he's he's another guy. He's comfortable on the left and right side. So and he and exactly what the Habs need to, you know, more puck moving defensemen. We could definitely use some some more of that. So uh, we'll see. We'll see what uh, what happens. You know, we'll see if they if the Habs do end up maybe making another addition on the defense. But uh, yeah, I mean, the, again, plenty of options. They have the assets. They have the picks. They have, you know, a bit of cap room as well. So. We'll see if uh, one more the, magic Bergevin could work. The big one is often to it, as, as always. It's the same thing on the forward group. It's it's whether or not the kids can take a step, right? And if Romanov really, because they talked about him like being a top four defenseman coming into 
last year, right? They definitely ended up using him less. He did basically play every game, though. He played 54 games in, 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 in the regular season. Obviously, he sat a lot of the playoffs, though. But I, I would expect Romanov to be an everyday defenseman for the Canadians next year. And if he can really take a step to being really a top-four defenseman for this team next year, playing next next to Savard, then, th- then this defensive unit looks completely different, right? Like, we know what Petrie and, and Edmondson can offer, and we have no reason to believe... Like Edmondson is one was one of the most consistent players for the, for the team last year, and and Petrie has been fantastic defenseman for the Canadians since he's joined the team. So we have no reason to believe that that duo is going to be any worse. It's it's really if Romanov can take a take a step in the right direction, and if he has some chemistry with Savard, I think I, I think it, it it can make a huge difference for this team. And look, it's a tough division. It's going to be tough to even just make the playoffs, and the division's only getting harder uh, every day. I mean, when when uh, Florida sign got Sam Reinhart for basically nothing out of Buffalo, that was very annoying because yep. <laughs> that made that team that made that team significantly better. And uh, that was maybe the last team the Canadians could 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 jump past, right? Unless you, unless you think. Boston takes a step back. I mean, it looks like Tukarasi might be done. So, so who? But it's gonna be tough to make. The, it's gonna be tough to make the playoffs. But you know, like, like yes, we just went on a cup run. But at the end of the day, this is still a young team, and the goal here is to see how the kids can do. That that's why I'm not mad about not giving a guy like like Daniel like a five six year contract. I want to see what the kids can do, and, and it's really time for that generation of players that just made it made it to the finals, but to really take over and see what they can do. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, uh, you know, and some of the young guys were the best players. I mean, Suzuki Absolutely. was probably the best, the best, well, obviously, aside from Carey Price. Well, not was in the final. The best player. Yeah, well, maybe not in the final. Yeah, in the <laughs> final, Suzuki was the best player for the Canadians, for sure. But uh, Kakinemi, too. I mean, you know, in the playoffs, when he played, he, he was very good. Uh, same thing with Romanov. I mean, you know, he didn't, obviously, didn't play too, too much, but I mean, he looked pretty comfortable. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, the future is definitely bright. I mean, I, I, the Canadians, I think, have a lot of options as well. And they have a couple of holes still that they need to fill. But, uh, yeah, I mean, they, they have a pretty good roster. And like you said, a lot of depth as well. And, um, I mean, like, there's probably going to be more moves, like, like you said. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's the defense we, we start uh, the year with. And uh, I'm not too mad about it. It's, it's just – it's. It's if we could move a winger or and a pick for for a center, it just, it just makes sense. So we'll we'll see what happens. And the la- last thing I wanted to talk about about uh, we're pretty much done with all the moves. They did, did a lot of kind of they signed a lot of fringe kind of AHL guys and all that depth players, which great for Laval, but we don't really need to get too uh, in depth into uh, those contracts. We don't want the podcast to go too long. But I did want to quickly talk about the Byron statement. If, if you didn't see it, he, he posted a statement on, on Instagram. The one thing about his statement, he signs it at the bottom. Yeah, <laughs> and he, he reminds me of me. Like he signs like, like his signature looks like a five year old signed, <laughs> which is hilarious. Uh, but I'm not, I'm not judging. My signature is the same way, but I just thought that was funny. But just everything he said there and how appreciative he was of the fan of, of his time. At times, it almost seemed like a goodbye letter, and other times it looked like more of like, I can't wait to be back next year. Right? Please don't get rid of me. And it, Byron's often the guy that we talk about, like when we're just talking about the players as being kind of like, you know, assets that need to be moved in and out of a lineup just to get the best team possible. Because of his contract, Byron's often the one to talk about moving out. But we're talking about a team now that lost Shea Weber out of his locker room. Dano was definitely a big person in the locker room. I mean, I, I know the whole idea of the locker room importance and the, like, you know, the leadership, you know, tends to be overblown by the media a little bit. But at the same time, we saw it do a lot in the offseason. And, and seeing that, that those comments, I, I kind of want to hold on to Byron on this team 
not to lose too much of the identity that brought us to the final in the playoffs. And that, that was just – that statement was it, – it's almost what you want to see from a captain. Like I don't think he's, he's going to get the C, but like he clearly is a great leader for this team. No, absolutely. I mean, you that, that's what you want at the end of the day. I mean, you want guys that, that want to play here, that understand how, yeah. you know, the, the the privilege really that it is to put on the yeah. Montreal Canadiens jersey. And, and that's what I loved about the, the David uh, Sabal signing today. Yeah. You know, I think he's one of the guys that he, he just gets it. Apparently, you know, he's left some money on the table. He wanted to come here. It was the best thing for him and his family. And, and at the end of the day, you just want guys like that on your team. Yeah, so, he basically I mean, said the money didn't matter. As soon as he knew the Canadians made an offer, he wanted to join Montreal. So that, to me, makes Savard worth it 100%. Absolutely. And, man, I mean, like, you, you just love – you got to love Paul Byron. I mean, you know, he's obviously lost a bit of a step here. But, I mean, he's – he, you know, he, he basically embodies what, what being a Montreal Canadian is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And and that goal he scored the first game of the playoffs that – of a playoffs that ended up being – uh, an iconic playoff run will will be will live on forever, like that beautiful diving goal and all that. So, th- like, part of me really doesn't want to lo- lose too much of those guys, you know. Already losing Dano and and and, and Weber uh, from from that group, and like we almost lost Price for a second there. <laughs> it's like like we just came off the finals run of a, of a group of guys that really loved clearly playing for each other, and that's maybe a big reason why. Like we said, we were surprised that Armia resigned. You gotta think that finals run is a big reason why he decided to stay. Could very well be, and I mean, that you know, you're potentially also losing. Uh, let's not forget again about Corey Perry, but hopefully yeah. that run last season, and and you know, obviously not playing in front of uh, 21,273 fans, but uh, you know, I, hopefully he got a bit of a taste for it, and he wants the true experience next season. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I mean, a lot to be excited about. I'm sure there'll be new moves. It's only the free, first day of free agency. It's crazy how much um, has happened. Uh, I mean. Now, I mean, we have to move on to the to, to the draft talk. We're not obviously not going to completely ignore what happened uh, at the draft. I mean, there's there's a over 30 minute interview with Marco D'Amico that touch, touches on the on the whole draft with Dustin. Uh, I mean, if you listen to this podcast, you know I don't know, don't know that much about prospects. So for that in depth analysis of the prospects, uh, stay tuned for that. But uh, of course, the big thing is the Canadians drafting uh, Logan Mayu. Uh, at this point, I'm sure anyone who listens to this podcast. Uh, is well aware of the whole situation around Logan uh, and all that, and I mean, we were we were chatting when it happened, and like I I didn't know too much about the prospects available, but I definitely had heard about what happened with with uh, with with Logan. It just I I, I just I don't even know what to say. It's a hard thing to talk about because it just seemed yeah. so unnecessary to pick him. Uh, exactly. I mean, you know, from a from from a talent perspective, I mean. He's he's obviously an extremely talented guy. He he looks, you know, it, it, he's exactly what the Habs needed from a hockey perspective. But the real, I, I mean, I don't know that it was worth all the, you know, the controversy, all the headaches that it's causing. You know, after after you build up all this goodwill, basically with with your fan base, to to alienate i think a, a good portion of well maybe not a good portion but you know still still a, a well yeah a good chunk of your fan base no, I mean, no for sure i mean we talked about it like when we went to that game in montreal during the playoffs well we we it was one of the games where they just showed it on the jumbotron we talked about it while we were there that it really feels like the younger generation because unfortunately dustin we are old at this point at 34 
But the the younger generation of fans that are coming in, the 18, 19, 20-year-olds, we're seeing – of course, there's always been women that were fans. But I'm, I feel like I'm seeing a lot more of the younger generation than, than even our generation and even – like forget about it, the generation before before that. They, there were always some female fans, but not, nowhere near as much as there seems to be now. And the, the game definitely seems to be growing overall. More and more women are getting involved with the NHL and all that. And that's it. Like you like – just from the response – you, you see that clearly you alienated a whole group. And then so much of how they've handled it is just comes off as, as poor taste. The fact that they had a statement released the second he was drafted, you, you, like the, it shows that they understood what they were doing, what, what get, it was going to get a reaction. And that, that statement wasn't great either. And the statement today was definitely the best statement they've released so far. Uh, saying a lot of the right things, sure, that doesn't mean much. Like, action is going to speak louder than words. The statement literally says that, so fair enough. does feel like it came a little late, you know? And also, to release that statement one hour into free agency, it's just so obvious what they're doing there. I mean, I don't... I don't get it, man. Like, we're not – like, people understand PR and stuff now. Like, this isn't the 60s. You know, it's not just going to be like an article that goes through the Gazette and only a few people see it. Like, people – like, like I don't understand the choices that are being made by the PR team for the Canadians. Yeah, it's, it's definitely it, – yeah. They obviously haven't handled it the best way, um, you know, and, and right when it happened, you know, it, it almost seemed like they were caught off guard by <laughs> – by what by like all the all the controversy that it caused um and you know for me i mean like it right obviously logan mayu said that he didn't want to get drafted um and apparently the canadians didn't have any discussions with him after he's between having him said that and actually drafting him apparently Mm -hmm. didn't have any discussions with him so i i I don't think that that was a very good way to handle it i mean they obviously should have talked to him before doing it um and and at the end of the day i mean we talked about this before and i think a lot of people have have said this that basically what should have happened it's at the end of the day i think the 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 nhl made the the worst decision here by not just saying at the beginning he's not eligible to get drafted that's that's what should have been done you know it it whether if the canadians didn't draft him in the first round he was going to get drafted by somebody in the second round and they still would you know whatever team did do this and and the nhl they would have been in this position. So that, that's, they should have nipped it in the bud at the beginning and just not had him be eligible and that they would have saved so much trouble here. Yeah. Cause I'm not trying to like forgive what the Canadians did, but the fact of the matter is if it wasn't Canadians, it was going to be another team. Like he was going to, he was going to get drafted. It, some teams did say they weren't going to no matter what. Uh, but I mean, you always wonder how true that there was, there was not a situation where he doesn't get drafted at all regardless of what he says. And the thing with, with him renouncing the draft, too, I mean, part of me kind of feels like he said that knowing he would get drafted anyways. Yeah. You know, like, like I don't know how much of that means, him saying that. Because um, you, you, you know he's not making this, these decisions on his own. Right? He's got his agent talking to him. His agent talks to GMs. You know, he, he understood when he renounced himself from the draft that it didn't mean a team wasn't allowed to draft him, right? So, like, what you just said there made made perfect sense. I hadn't actually really thought about it, but I, w- I was watching the TSN broadcast, like I was saying, and they had Lizzie Kaplan on from uh, – no, Emily Kaplan, sorry. Emily Kaplan uh, on from uh, ESPN, and she said exactly that, too, that the NHL has some blame here, too, is 
they don't have a set policy for these types of things like a lot of leagues do when it comes to any sort of uh, violence towards women or any sort of kind of sexual uh, assault or however you want to call this uh, this, this incident. They call, they say they, they deal with it by case-by-case basis. They, they didn't do anything in this case. They, they, they really didn't. The NHL had to know he's going to get drafted. Just get ahead of it and say he's not eligible. We'll, we'll, we'll next year – you know, we'll see how it goes and all that with with his rehabilitation and all that. And it just it just it soured it sours the whole draft too. Like that's all anyone wanted to talk about. Like even everyone that got drafted on draft day, their draft is now kind of known as that the draft where that happened. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just it's just it's a bad look for the Canadians. It's a bad look for the NHL. And, and it's honestly not the best thing to happen for this kid either. Like it would have been better no, exactly. for him to not be drafted yeah. for a year. No, exactly. Now he's going to be in, the, in the, the constant spotlight all the time, especially being drafted by the Canadians, which, you know, I mean, I don't know. It's it's just, it's just not a great scenario for, for anybody, I don't think. And, and like you said, I mean, I think it leaves a, a sour taste on a lot of people's mouths. And, you know, I mean, the, the, the Canadians, I mean, through rounds, you know, from rounds two through seven, like, like you'll hear in my discussion with Marco, I mean, the Canadians actually had a really good draft, drafted a lot of great young kids. Um, added a lot of more, a lot more really solid prospects to the cupboard, but yeah, this is going to be the Logan Mayu draft. And yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll see how it turns out. You know I mean? Hopefully he does re, you know, he, he, he rebuilds that, that, that confidence or whatever that, you know, that the hockey world has him in and then the rest of the world has in him. But, um, you know, he's, he's got a, obviously got a long road ahead of him. And and we'll see. You know, hopefully he yeah. hopefully it's not just words, and and he actually follows through. And and for me, it's it's more than just him. Honestly, it's it, I really hope that what Jeff Molson said in the statement today, he basically said actions will speak louder than words. I'm I'm paraphrasing here. I don't have the statement in front of me, but he 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 did say he wanted to to the the, the organization was going to try to help with awareness and all and all those buzzwords like awareness and all that like they all, yes it's all sounds good but i want to see them actually do it and money talks here okay like the canadians are like a multi-million dollar organization I, there, there's no reason why you can't show with dollars by donating donating to organizations and like really using the reach you have to create this awareness and because you kind of did something that created the wrong kind of awareness could kind of says to some people that there's no consequences you you kind of have to bounce back in the in the other way right and and, and do the right thing so time will only tell because they can release 100 statements it doesn't mean anything it's until we see the actions really no no exactly like you said i mean money well money talks and and you know i mean they have obviously have the money to 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 you know i mean uh, try to make a difference and you know i mean uh, it probably wasn't the best decision, but now they they have to try to make yeah. right, I guess, and 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 try to you know make make a positive out of this. And like like you said, I mean they can do a lot for the community, and and hopefully they do. And you know it's it's time for action at this point. No, absolutely, absolutely. So I mean that, that, that I think that's all we're gonna say on it uh, for now. I mean at, at some point too, I don't, I don't think that two guys that have a hockey podcast are necessarily the people that you should be. <laughs> listening to the most for opinions on this anyway uh there there's plenty of voices out there that kind of can could voice it better than than we can uh anyways so 
aside from that, I, like I said, I don't really follow prospects, so I don't have much to say about the uh, the, I, the Riley Kidney seemed like a good steal in the in, in the second round, but based on the the rankings, but that's all I'm basing it on. But uh, Marco D'Amico in the uh, the interview that we're about to to start here has a lot more to say about uh, these guys. I'm assuming that's that's mainly what you guys talked about, just the whole draft. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we uh, we definitely touched the oh, the uh, Marco D'Amico gave us a, a pretty good breakdown of each and every uh, prospect. You know what they could potentially bring, what they could potentially um, turn into. Talked about a couple of prospects, uh, current Habs prospects that could potentially make the jump next season. So, now definitely uh, definitely suggest you guys give it a ch- check it out. You know to learn more about the prospects and definitely give Marco a follow on Twitter. And, uh, you know, he's he's always posting stuff about prospects. So one of the best follows, I think, on Hans Twitter. Yeah, absolutely. Marco is a great follow. So stick around to listen to that. Uh, as for the next podcast, I mean, we don't know exactly when it, when it, when it's going to be, depending on the news that comes out. I mean, it truly is in the offseason now. So just follow us at the Habs for, from on Twitter to really know when the, the next episode drops. And uh, thank you for listening and enjoy the interview with Marco Namico. All right, I'm joined by Marco D'Amico here from Scrimmage and Stats. Marco, thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, man. All right, so we're going to be talking about the Habs 2021 draft class today. And uh, obviously, I mean, uh, you know, the Canadians made a pretty controversial pick with the first pick, uh, drafting the right-handed defenseman Logan Mayu. Uh, so would you like to give your thoughts on, the, uh, on, what the pick, on, on what you thought of the pick? Yeah, I mean, there, there's two ways of looking at this. There's there's the purely hockey perspective, which is what I think Mark Bergevin was doing. And then there's the human aspect of this. I think it's already been beaten to death uh, at this point in terms of what happened with, with Mayu. But um, ultimately, you know, him not wanting to be drafted and the recency of the events, um, you know, I didn't even have him ranked because I figured, what's the use? No one's going to take him. Um, so... I was a little surprised, and little being the temperate word, but I was a little surprised when his name was called out because I knew that the Canadians were probably going to be looking for a right-shot defenseman, and I knew that they weren't entirely sold on Scott Morrow. Um, So I was... I honestly thought they were going to trade the pick. I thought we were going to get to the Canadians' rank and they were going to trade the pick because uh, Bergevin was on the phone and it, it looked like he was trying to swing a trade and maybe even trade down. Um, but no, they called Mayu and look, I, it's too late now. It's already happened. There's no chance they're renouncing this pick. So we basically have to live with the fact that we have this recently turned adult that made a very serious mistake in Sweden. Um, do I think that he, you know, do I, do, do I hold him accountable for being drafted by the Habs? No, I think that, that that's on the Canadians organization and specifically with Bergevin. But I think he has the potential to learn from this um, because he will never be able to forget about it. And I mean, and, and, and this is going to this is going to speak to 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 mostly the victim and, and women that can relate to this. Um, I don't believe that the Montreal Canadiens in drafting him validated, uh, you know, that kind of behavior. Uh, I think they selected him knowing his baggage and knowing that they were going to have to produce a concrete plan in order to ensure that reparations are properly met and that this player, you know, is part of the change and not, uh, you know, uh, a pawn to its push uh, to its pushing forward. I think that Logan Mayu kind of understands what happened here. Um, and 
you know, he's ultimately going to go back to being well-surrounded uh, in London as opposed to being by himself in Sweden as a 17-year-old. Um, my honest opinion is he made a, a glaring mistake. He's going to learn from it. Um, and if he doesn't, well, he'll he'll meet the same fate as Tony D'Angelo met in in New York, um, because as we've seen, Tony D'Angelo also had problems in his youth, not sexually, but in from from a more social perspective. And that resulted in him being bounced around from team to team early on in his career. So I think that the Canadians are taking a smart approach in this. Uh, I, I know for a fact they're already you know providing a plan. Um, so hopefully. Uh, the victim will be able to to heal. Uh, hopefully, there's there's a plan in there for her as well. And I expect Logan Mayu to be at the forefront uh, of initiatives from the Canadians organization in terms of bringing about awareness uh, when it comes to stuff like this. So I'm shocked. Um, it's a little distasteful, but there's nothing that we can do about it today. From a pure hockey perspective, he was the best player available for Montreal given their needs uh they need a big shot right-handed D uh that can skate and he's also you know Trevor Timmons said yesterday he was 6'5 so clearly there was some growth uh since the last time he was measured so you know there is potential in his game and if he can shore up uh the more personal aspects of his character and become a better person through it um, whilst also delivering reparations to the victim, I think that it's a win in in this situation. I don't think it's a win for the league. I think the league shouldn't have allowed him to be drafted. Um, but I think that this could be a win, but it, no one's going to see it as such in the short term. Yeah, no, it was definitely a controversial pick, um, and, and obviously, I mean, there's been a lot, a lot said about it. Uh, like you say, we don't want to, don't want to be the, you know, be dead horse here. Uh, it's already been talked a lot about about Twitter and social media and, and all, you know, basically everywhere. But um, obviously, you know, that that's the pick that has gotten all the ink over the last uh, over the last few days. The Canadians did make eight other picks in the draft, starting with the last two picks in the second round. They drafted. First of all, I mean, they drafted Riley Kidney, not a Quebecer, but in from the queue. The first time they drafted a player from the queue in the first four rounds since 2013, Riley Kidney and the pick after that, Oliver Kapanen. What did you think about these two picks? I really like the kidney pick. Um, he's a Halifax boy or greater Halifax region. Basically half of Nova Scotia is considered the greater Halifax region. But um, I, I really enjoyed what I saw from him in the second half of the QMJHL season. I say second half because there were so many stoppages, especially, uh, you know, for the maritime teams. He was playing out in Acadie. Uh, you know, it was all over the place. And he really looked his like like I was watching the beginning of the season and his first game. I didn't notice kidney as much. I noticed Cole Hutchkins uh, a little bit more. Um, and he was a Calgary third rounder, 77th overall in the same draft. And then throughout the season, Hutchkins kind of slowly started calming down. And Riley Kidney just took off. And really, as as, as the, one of the marquee playmaking centers in that maritime division, uh, he was all over the place. His progression curve from the midpoint in the season, like it was going well, and then it just took off. And in the playoffs, 17 points in nine games. He was just setting up teammates left and right and just gaming very much in the play, very intense. Um, and 
again, you always look for guys that elevate their play in more intense or tighter situations. He's not a overly big guy, 5'11", 168 pounds, probably uh, a little bit heavier than that nowadays because the last time we took those measurements was maybe nine nine to ten months ago. So he's probably in the 175 range, 180 range. He's a good build. It's a strong build. So there's there's no issue with size there either. And he projects as a pure playmaking center. I don't think he's a winger, to to, to be honest with you, because he sees the game so well. So it's a, it's a, it's not a sexy pick, as we like to say. It's not a, a Sasha Pastijov or or a, a Robertson or or uh, or so on. But I honestly think there's a lot of upside here, and it's been a while since you know the the queue was favored by the by the Montreal organization, and this was a year for that because despite the stoppages, they had a semblance of a year, unlike the WHL who had kind of a, a season, like 20, 12 or 24 games, and then the OHL, which didn't have a season. So the, the Q actually had an advantage in this case, and I'm glad that the Canadians took a, a flyer out on Kidney. Absolutely. I mean, he looks like a good pick. Like you said, I mean, not a, not necessarily a sexy pick, but obviously the way that he played in the playoffs, I mean, went, uh, I mean, he, he was fantastic in the playoffs. Uh, and then, so he he sort he certainly sort of boosted his stock with his play in the playoffs. And then the, the second pick the Canadians made in the second round, Oliver Kapanen, was a guy who, unfortunately, was injured in the uh, in the U18 tournament. What what did you think of that pick? And do you think maybe he slipped a little bit because of that injury? Oh yeah, the U18s, due to the lack of of, of viewings for a lot of players, the U18s skewed a lot, and I mean a lot of rankings. I mean. Um, I could not have told you two months ago that uh, Anaheim would be picking McTavish third overall, but the U18 performance was so strong for a player with so little viewings that he just shot up the rankings, right? Similar to how Kakanyemi kind of exploded in his draft year due to a very good U18 performance. In this case, I think it hurt Kapanen's draft stock because a lot of the major outlets had him going in the mid second round if not early uh second round bob mckenzie had him for uh, 52nd and that's from pooling a plethora of scouts so i like the pick there's a lot of upside there he's a right shooting center which is always important but the thing to take into consideration is he's a very young 03 born he's not even 18 yet he turns 18 uh by the time this comes out tomorrow uh july 29th so a younger player but a lot of upside um I think he might have even gone higher in the draft uh, had he been actually playing in Liga with Kalpa. He was in their U20 um, team, and he put up 25 goals and 16 assists for 41 points in 37 games, and then was loaned to Mestis, which is like basically the second division for the men's league in, in Finland under Liga, and he was at a point per game. Three goals, two assists in, in five games. Unfortunately, he got injured in, in the U18s, didn't record a point, um, but I mean, if you go right now and look at him in the in the World Junior Summer Showcase for Finland, he's looked very good uh, in the game that I saw, which was the United States' blue team versus Finland. Uh, he he looked very good, second line center on that team behind Aturati, and he's got the shooting mechanics. It's it's definitely there. He's got a good big body, but he's a goal scoring center. 
And Montreal doesn't have many of those in the pipeline. Mostly all of them are playmaking centers. Uh, so it's it's an intriguing pick to me. And, you know, it's going to be very interesting to, to see where he kind of slots in next year. Hopefully he's playing on Kalapa's main team, uh, you know, in, in a top nine setting. But remains to be seen how he's going to be utilized there. Yeah, it definitely looks like a good pick. Like you said, I mean, he had a he played pretty well against the U.S. the other uh, the other night. Do you think he's a guy that maybe we could see in Laval uh, in a few years? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know the length of his contract. I've been trying to track down contract length for certain players. Um, and I believe he has two years left on his deal in Finland. So I believe that by that time, he should theoretically be ready to come over. So it'll be very interesting to see what they do with him. I would like to see him over sooner than later because he has a very kind of mature game. I think it's just a question of allowing, you know, the the offense to be developed in a tighter setting. The benefit he has is Finland plays on hybrid ice. So it's not it's not huge ice. Uh, it's it's in between the two. And he's used to playing on smaller ice already. So for me, I don't think it's that much of a reach for him to come in you know, at the age of 20 and kind of hit the ground running in Laval. In the third round, the Canadians, uh, they were heading into the third round with two picks, ended up trading one to Anaheim for uh, for a third round pick next year. Uh, they do use one pick to get right-handed defenseman Dmitry Kostenko. Uh, any thoughts on Kostenko? Have you, have you seen him play a little bit? Uh, well, I heard of Kostenko. I uh, had watched a couple of uh, I didn't watch full games, uh, definitely, you know, isolated player sequences, but he was projected to go pretty much in this range, like early to mid third round. Um, those that did see him generally were those uh, that had access to MHL, VHL uh, tape in, in Russia. So for those that, that don't know, MHL is basically the junior league in Russia. VHL is their minor league and the KHL is, is the main men's league. Uh, and he was basically like most Russian defensemen being carted off from one to the other. He played 40 games in the VHL, which is good for a, a kid his age. He was 18 this year. He's a, a late and 2 born, but still putting up 10 points as a defenseman in the VHL uh, is good uh, for a kid his age. And then basically a point per game in the MHL for a defenseman, nine points, uh, a goal and eight assists. It's intriguing, but it's the package that you need to look at. He's he's a good skater. He's able to control the puck. Very good for zone exits. His style of play is what one one would deem as uncharacteristic for Russian defensemen. He likes to take a lot of risks, and Russian defensemen, as we've seen with Romanov uh, when he was in Russia, uh, are always kind of taught to to kind of reel it in. But he has what the Canadians need. He's he's got a good size. He's a right shot defenseman. The potential is there. A lot of people compare his style of play to that of Gustafsson. Um, I, I do see that. I, I think he does have a good shot. Um, but it's definitely his skating uh, that's going to determine whether or not he makes the league. Because his skating right now, I believe, is good enough to play in the American Hockey League. If he can just put the rest of his stuff together, um, you know, there is potential for him to play. Now, how, you know, how far up the lineup? We'll see. That really all depends on his development. But I, I don't think this was a bad pick at that at that uh, at that spot. It certainly seems seemingly more of a of a home run swing by uh, by Timmins and Bergevin with that pick. Seems to be a bit of a project that that 
I mean, like you said, I mean, definitely something the Canadians need, especially being that right-handed defenseman. So probably not going to be with the Habs anytime soon, but maybe in Laval in a year or two, hopefully. Uh, then the Canadians, uh, they went, uh, once again, they headed into the fourth round with three picks, traded two of them away, uh, made one pick, finally drafting a Quebecer, first time that they draft a Quebecer or a Quebec-born player in the first four rounds since 2013, drafting a Zach Fucali. And they draft the left-handed defenseman, William Trudeau, who seems to have jumped up quite a few, dra- quite a few draft boards uh, during the season. What did you think of William Trudeau? <laughs> Well, the way that I see it is William Trudeau's stock has always kind of been in limbo for me. It was a lot of people it would range in terms of what he was able to do. And, and that's really what I like to see when when there's a range on a player at this point. That means that some people really liked what they saw from from this defenseman and some people were just kind of like meh. Uh, when I watched William Trudeau play again, another one of those uh, players that not many scouts got to be able to see because ultimately getting to the Maritimes A was difficult and B uh, getting into those games were difficult. And the Canadians have the advantage where Donald Odette actually has the in to be able to get in almost these games. It's one thing to watch them on tape. It's another thing to see them live. And I feel like William Trudeau really kind of stepped up his game, especially offensively. He doubled his output. Um, again, another late player though, but he pretty much has no fault other than, I would say, an average skating stride. If he can work on his skating, it's a puck-moving defenseman in, in, in the way that we've come to know and love them. So he's got good vision, uh, really good at boxing players out. Um, he's a very smart player, and I think that's the key here, is that he's got a lot of smarts. If this would have been a normal season, I think he would have been ranked a little higher uh, than most had him. Even Bob McKenzie had him at 93, which is, you know, higher than what he was taken at. And at that point, you see that a lot of scouts that he was talking to had him higher. And the reason for that is because there's a complete lack of of, of viewing. Uh, and especially when it came time to the playoffs, uh, Charlottetown was, you know, eight games in and out. And he was tasked with a more defensive role. So he didn't get to express himself as much offensively. Uh, But that was more from a utilization perspective. Next year in Charlottetown, uh, you know, he's going to be playing with, uh, I believe, no, not the player that was picked after him by the Habs, but the one after. Uh, We'll talk about him, Xavier Simoneau. This team looks like it'll be pretty good next year. So there's a lot to look forward to for, for William Trudeau, and he's got a lot of time to grow. But it looks like he could potentially be taking the reins over especially if Lucas Cormier uh, ends up turning pro. Uh, he could be the go-to defenseman on that team. Yeah, that, that'd be great to see. I mean, definitely, like you said, Charlottetown should have a pretty solid team next year. And, uh, well, certainly if Cormier does turn pro, I mean, he'll he'll have an expanded role on a great Islanders team. Then uh, the Canadians had two picks in the fifth round. They, they With their first pick, they continued along with the defenseman, taking their fourth defenseman, third right-handed defenseman of the draft, uh, taking another Russian defenseman, Daniel Sobolev. Uh, what did you think of this pick? Sobolev is your definition of a boomer bust pick. Uh, for me, I think that there's a lot of potential there. Um, I'm not going to lie. There's huge amounts of risk, and he wasn't classified or ranked by a lot of people because he just didn't play last year 
Uh, and that's the thing to, to keep into consideration. He didn't play at all. Uh, he was supposed to come over and play for the Windsor Spitfires, and there was no OHL season. However, he stayed in uh, the Windsor area and continued to skate with the team and practice with the team, even though there were no games. So he stayed in North America the whole time. That, to me, is a huge advantage because you're basically drafting him out of the OHL. That means that more likely than not, you, there's no tug of war at the end of his junior eligibility. He's going to come straight into your, your your minor league system and grow with that. So I like the risk. I think that in a normal season, if you would have played in Windsor the whole season, this wouldn't have been a fifth-round pick. This probably would have been a third-round pick, the same uh, kind of style as Kostenko. But I think there's more... There's more boomer bust element to this. This this could actually be a pretty solid pick if he fills out. Because right now, uh, 5'10", 154 uh, pounds, not exactly the biggest, but it's it's his ability to play that I like the most. He's one of those guys that plays with an oomph, uh, and he's got a solid set of offensive skills. So it's clear to see, you know, you see Mayu, you see Kostenko, uh, and you see Sobolev. Um, you're starting to see where the Canadians were kind of going with with their strategy for right defensemen. They want offensive right D uh, because those are probably the rarest of gems to find in the NHL uh, as those that are scouring free agency right now are finding out. Yeah, no, definitely. They they seem to have, have a strategy. They're drafted right-handed defenseman, which obviously was a need heading into this draft, even before losing Kale Fleury, with uh, with only Josh Brook basically there as a, as a right-handed defenseman before this draft. Uh, then a couple of picks later, they select from Quebec another Quebec-born player, Joshua Waugh. Now, this pick seems like an interesting pick. He obviously seems to have the talent. He was drafted. He was the first overall pick in the 2019 QMJHL draft. Some some off ice concerns though with Joshua Wow. What what do you think about this pick? Um. So when when I saw his name called out, I was pretty pretty happy. I'm not I'm not gonna lie. I thought he was easily a second round talent. Um. To me, if if you go and look at him as a as a raw prospect, there's there were two sides to this story this year, and I do really want to point out that the upside on this player is so much higher than people understand. Like he's again. Not even 18 yet. 17 years old, turns 18, August 6th. Um, and he's a, he's a goal-scoring center. Uh, McKean's had him at 46. Uh, he wasn't, let's say, uh, ranked by Bob McKenzie because of what was going on in St. John. So for those that don't understand what happened, there was a huge kind of disconnect going on with the St. John Sea Dogs. He wasn't really uh, getting what he needed out of them. He wasn't, uh, the nutrition was off. The, the situation was really uh, off for them. Uh, the players weren't happy. A lot of players got traded out of St. John. Um, and so when you look at what was going on with Sherbrooke, the moment he left, uh, St. John for Sherbrooke, sure. He didn't get as many points, uh, but he put up 13 goals in 20 games. He was scoring at a, a clip basically of about 30, 38 goals in a regular season. Generally, players that score 38 to 40 goals uh, in the regular season in 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 junior in their draft year, and they're as young as as Josh Wise, they're first round picks. Um, and his play from when he started with Sherbrooke all the way into the playoffs, even though there was only three games, uh, Sherbrooke basically got eliminated in the first round. 
Uh, Joshua Wall was their best player. He had four points, a goal and three assists in the playoffs as well. So a nice upward trajectory at the end. But I, granted, people were concerned about the off-ice stuff. And really what came out of it is by the end, by the time he was acquired from St. John, he was about 200 215, no, sorry, 205 pounds. So he was overweight. Um, that generally comes from a lack of, uh, I would say, surrounding. You're not insulating your player properly. You're not teaching him what it is to be a pro. And at that point, that's what you need to do. And you need to teach these kids how to be pros, especially for a guy uh, like Joshua, who comes from the Bose region. Uh, and this isn't the G, uh, you know, GTHL. This isn't Lac St. Louis Lions. They're not necessarily taught how to be a pro in conjunction with their talent. They're mostly taught to refine their talent. Now here you are and every little advantage counts and he's learning it the hard way. And he did learn it the hard way. And from the reports that came out of, of Phoenix, uh, with the Phoenix, sorry, uh, in Sherbrooke. And for those who don't know, uh, Danielle Odette is affiliated with the Sherbrooke Phoenix. So if anybody has in good and viable information on what was going on with Joshua behind the scenes, it would be him. And from what we're hearing, he was able to drop about 25 pounds in the first month and a half that he was there. Uh, and that's what contributed to his offensive explosion and goal scoring prowess, because in 45 games, he put up 22 goals, which is basically a, a goal uh, per two games. It was really good for, for a junior player. So I'm looking forward to seeing if he can take it up a notch further next year. And is definitely an excellent gamble to take on a center. I think he's got NHL potential. I think worst case scenario, he's a third line center. So let's see what happens. But um, all that depends on this prospect, I don't think it's necessarily skill. I think it's everything around it. I think if he can bring his professionalism and dedication to the sport to the next level, which I think he's already on the right path to do, then, you know, the Canadians might have themselves a serious value pick here. Yeah, like you said, I mean, it's it's obviously not the talent that's lacking with Joshua. Hopefully now in Shearbrook, he'll get the support he, support he needs and uh, definitely could be a home run pick from the uh, from the Habs. Uh, so the Canadians in the sixth round, they stick with uh, with players in, in their own backyard, drafting Xavier Simonou. Now, this is a bit of an interesting pick, I thought. He's a 20-year-old drafted, obviously, you know, Quebec, a Quebec-born player. Very small, but he definitely has a whole lot of talent. What do you what do you think about Simono and his chances of potentially making uh, the Habs one day? I wanted Simono drafted the last two drafts, so this is this is pretty cool for me. Um, when I saw his name, I thought it was really a long time coming. I think the Canadians have been watching him for a while and were kind of sure what was going to happen, how his game was going to grow. I like the way that he's diversified his game. Uh, a lot of people will kind of look at his statistics and be like, well, he didn't really improve. He's improved year over year over year over year. And he's really been uh, a kind of player that can basically play in any situation. He can grind you out. He can beat you with his smarts. He can he can dangle to the net. He's unafraid. R- reminds me a lot of like the dedication that Harvey Pennard had. And this is the same kind of pick, right? He's going to probably, based on Timmons' comments, he's going to go back to the QMJHL next year, play with the Charlottetown Islanders. Um, that should be one heck of a team, in my honest opinion. So it's going to be good for him. It's going to be good for William Trudeau, his new te- his new teammate. Um, and bear in mind, uh, Xavier Simoneau, the only reason he wasn't at Canada's uh, World Junior Championship selection camp 
was because he caught COVID or else he was in the mix to make that team. And that's saying something for, for a 19 year old that was never eligible before. Um, so there's a lot of heart to this player and at worst, and I say at worst, he's going to play with Charlottetown. He's going to sign an AHL contract right after that to go to Laval. And at worst, you have yourself an elite uh, AHL player. But I think there is NHL upside there. I think that he's one of those smaller guys that's, that might take a little bit more time to get there. But he, eventually, he's too smart of a player not to get there. It's a question of what kind of role will he have? And will he have adapted his game to optimally play that role? Yes, like you said, I mean, you know, I think the Canadians are definitely happy with how Harvey Pinard tur- has turned out so far. You know, the guy they drafted in 2019, gonna, seemingly going to use the same sort of formula that they used with him. And uh, I mean, if Harvey Pinard right now is looking like he could definitely be in the mix, potentially even as, as soon as next year to make the Habs, and they're going to hope for the same from Simino. And then finally, the Canadians round out their selections in the seventh round, drafting a goaltender uh, from from the North Bay Battalion, Joe Verbetic. Now, obviously, the OHL didn't play last year, but uh, what did you have any thoughts on Verbetic? I didn't really, I didn't really know um, what to expect with him. I uh, I honestly think that he's a guy that could surprise a lot of people. He dropped to the seventh because he didn't play at all. So there's not much that we know about him. But what we do know is as a 16-year-old, he did impress on a really bad team uh, in the OHL. I believe it was the battalion. I could be wrong. But um, it's it's always interesting with goalies like that because you you don't want what happened with Zachary Fucale, right? So it comes in at 16-year-old, plays on a powerhouse Halifax team, and then kind of regresses year over year because... So little by little, these powerhouse players graduate to the NHL. Uh, in this case, I would rather see a player uh, like Verbetic kind of stew in that scenario and and kind of play out and see kind of how things work for him. Now, according to Timmins, he spent the entire year working with a goalie coach, really just working on his skills, fitness, getting stronger, getting faster. So the year wasn't lost for him and he wasn't twiddling his thumb. So it's going to be very interesting to me to see how he looks, especially with North Bay. Uh, they're set to be better this year, but worst case scenario, and I, I always say this, when a player gets drafted, draft capital always kind of turns into this, I guess, urgency for the player to be put in the right situation. So if the Brampton Battalion aren't a really strong team, uh, we'll know right away just by looking at his goals against as opposed to a save percentage. And there's a chance that he may be flipped to another team, uh, which is something the Canadians would probably push for uh, from Brampton should they falter uh, out of the gate in the OHL. But I think, you know, he's a, he's, he's a big goalie, 6'6", um, moves quite well from what I was able to see on tape. Um, I think the only real big knock against him in terms of risk factor is that he just hasn't played in, at this point, 18 months. Yeah, no, exactly. It's 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 always obviously going to be going to be tough to say when you're drafting a goalie that didn't even play last year, but or any player for that matter that didn't play last year. But I mean, you love to see that he was with the goalie coach. And at the end of the day, I mean, he has the one thing that you can't teach, which is size. So, you know, he might might be a diamond in the rough. We'll uh, we'll have to see. So uh, w- the Canadians made nine picks in the 2021 draft. Um, you know, see, it looks like they made a lot of picks, obviously addressed uh, a lot of needs, especially their biggest need at right defense. What would be your overall grade 
an overall impression of the Canadians' 2021 draft class? Probably give it a B. Nothing, um, I wouldn't say like an overly amount of sexy picks. Um, I think that ultimately there's a lot of potential here. There's a lot of upside. I think that the Canadians went for a swing every single, almost every single pick. I think the only pick that I would consider safe would be the Kapanen pick. I think he's a he's pretty much a, a good bet uh, to eventually play in the NHL, given his skill set, his the fact that he's well surrounded by current and former NHL players in his family. Um, I think the the thing to look out for uh, is definitely going to be uh, the progression. And I know that people probably won't care, but the progression of a player like Logan Mayu, um, I think with the London Knights, with the teams they always have and the utilization he's going to have this year, he's probably going to be there, there on their top pair, first power play. Uh, people are going to discover the player Logan Mayu instead of the, the you know, the, the, the teenager that committed a crime Logan Mayu. And I think that might calm people down in conjunction, of course, with the plan that's put in place with the Canadians for reparations. Now, he's a guy to look out for. And I think the, the one that I'm going to be looking at the most is probably going to be Josh Hoa. Because uh, if he can build on the season he had last year and come out of the gate and really, you know, put up a, a point per game, uh, if not higher season, then the Canadians have quite the prospect on their hands as well. So he's a player I'd like to watch. And uh, so the Canadians obviously have quite a bit of holes uh, well, in, with the with the Habs roster heading into next season with with a lot of the departures. Obviously, we know Dano's good. Well, it looks like he's going to be out the door. Guys like Tatar, uh, Weber. Is there any prospects you see? Obviously, none of the guys that got drafted this year, but any uh, any prospects that you see could potentially fill up some of those holes on the roster? Sorry, it, it cut out as you asked the question. I'm so sorry. <laughs> so the Canadi- yeah, no problem. So the Canadians have some holes, obviously, heading into next uh, next season with some of the departures. Uh, Shea Weber, Philip Dano, most likely, Thomas Tatar. Any guys, any prospects that you see they could potentially fill some holes on that roster next season? Oh, absolutely. I think, um, well, depending on what happens at free agency, um, you know, it, it's definitely going to be interesting to see what they do um, with centers. Um, I think Ryan Paling has a shot to, you know, get in on on the starting lineup, be it at center, if they don't add and if Philip Deneau doesn't come back. And I also think that maybe, uh, you know, we could be looking at, a player like Joel Teasdale or, or Harvey Pinard throughout the year kind of squeak their way into the lineup during a call-up. On defense, um, I think with the signing of Chris Weidman, I think they want to give Josh Brook one final year in the minors before really kind of seeing what, what, what it's all about with him. I think that he still gets games this year. I think the the, the general consensus is that he sh- we they need to see what's up with him. And I think that he was doing really well. His progression curve with Laval last season was really, really good. Um, and so we'll see what happens. Personally, I think Paling is the the one with the most amount of shot to make it. I don't think we can necessarily call Caulfield at this point a prospect. I think it's he's pretty much penciled in for that top six. So really, the one that comes to my mind is Paling. And as far as, well, we have a free agency, of course, starting on, uh, well, on Wednesday. What uh, what you think the Canadians will make any runs at some of the big fishes like a Dougie Hamilton or what 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 kind of guys do you think uh, the Canadians might be targeting? Well, that really depends on uh, how much cap space they have left. Um, 
as we're recording, uh, Yul Armia just signed a $3.4 million extension over four years. Um, so maybe they they won't be looking for a right-handed shot forward. Uh, but definitely, I'd love to see them take a run at, at Dougie Hamilton. Um, obviously, I think the, the chances of that happening are minimal. Um, basically, any offensive right shot top four defenseman would be cool. So I know a lot of people would be, would be very sour if the Canadians signed a guy like Tyson Berry, whilst uh, Logan Mayu and the rest of the right defensemen they drafted this year uh, prepare, or uh, Matthias Norlander, for that matter, prepares um, you know, Matthias Norland will probably come for training camp and ultimately go back to Fralunda this year. But, you know, a lot of people forget that although he does shoot left, Matthias Norlander likes to play right. So I don't want them to invest too much in free agency and then clog the way for these prospects that they've been hyping for, uh, for a while. I think the one spot that they absolutely need to address in free agency um, beyond what Savard has done on, on right D, because if, if the rumors are true, Savard will sign uh, and occupy top four role on the right defensive side. I think it's left wing that needs to be addressed. I know that Jonathan Drouin is coming back, but I think that the Canadians absolutely need a left-handed goal scorer. Um, and with the way that things are kind of shaping up, it you know there's there's a Mike Hoffman there's Brandon Sad there's Jaden Schwartz there's a lot of left-handed shots and you know generally it's harder to find right-handed forwards that can score and the Canadians have now four under contract for next year now with Joel Armia being signed so four guys capable of giving you minimum 15 to you know 15 goals per season on Joel Armia and then 20 and up for the other three I, to me if if they're going to have a successful power play moving forward they need left-handed shots. They need to add more weapons coming from all angles, uh, like we see, for example, in Tampa Bay, uh, when they have the diamond shot, uh, basically formation with two one-timers uh, on their strong sides on each side. So if Montreal would want to emulate something like that, you definitely need to utilize a shooter. So Hoffman, for me, would be ideal, but I think Sad is more of the Mark Bergevin kind of player, and he's definitely someone that's going to be on his list. you think there's any there uh, any trade targets that they could potentially land? I know that there's been some talks uh, about Christian Dvorak coming over from Arizona. Uh, do you think that would be a fit, or is there any other guys that you think uh, Bergevin could potentially target? It's going to be very interesting because I don't think I've ever been right about a target via trade that Bergevin was looking at, ever. Um, so... I would hope that if there is a trade for him to look at, it would be on the defensive end. I think that, you, yes, he does have a lot of good prospects coming up, but at the same time, I think that he's going to need to ensure that, you know, there's there's also a stopgap for them. If, and I, I say this kind of, off my off the top of my head but if there's a team that i think montreal would be best suited to trade for and you know a lot of people have been like oh well, you know that would probably not work very well it's boston and the reason for that is jake debrusque for me is a player that boston would like out and he's a young player that scored 30 goals that plays uh you know a very physical game i thought maybe you know given the chance with montreal in a top six setting uh, as a goal scorer, surrounded by nothing but playmakers and 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 grinders, 
uh, on that second and third line. I feel like that's someone that could potentially help, uh, you know, a center like Kakaniemi uh, be, be better insulated. So there is an option there. On defense, I know that Vince Dunn is being shopped by Seattle as we speak. Um, if the cost is, you know, uh, a, a second round pick or an early third round pick, well, you know, Anaheim's not set to do very well next season either, and the Habs have their third-round pick. So if that's what it costs for a guy like, you know, Vince Dunn to come in and completely change your power play, I'd try that too. I think those would both be pretty solid options. I don't know if Buffalo would uh, – or not Buffalo, sorry, Boston would uh, would want to trade within the division, especially with the Canadians. But no, I definitely agree. I think that'd be a great fit. And Vince Dunn, I mean, I think is a guy that's been connected to the Canadians for – at least the last year if not longer so both guys would certainly be great fits well marco we uh, really appreciate you joining us today to talk about the uh, the Habs 2021 draft class where can we uh, catch some of your work and, and what do you have lined up for the uh, for the coming weeks um yeah it can be found on twitter at the hockey expert and at scrimmage stats.com uh i pretty much did the uh, expansion draft mock draft when it came out did a first round mock draft of of this class we should be doing a review uh, of the Montreal Canadiens prospects that were drafted in a little bit more detail over the next few weeks. Uh, but mostly you can catch me on Twitter. Uh, if you have any questions or whatnot, you could always reach out. All right. Thanks again for doing this, Marco. I re- really appreciate it. And looking f- uh, look forward to following you on Twitter. Again, that's at the hockey expert and uh, check out your work at uh, scrimmageandstats.com. Thanks again, Marco. Thanks for having me, bud.